Amen. So uh, if you can turn with me to the book of Acts, as we are almost halfway through, and Acts has been, uh, it's been pretty long. How long have we been on Acts for? A few months already. Uh, two months? Or did you say too much? Oh, two months, two months. All right, all right, two months. Now, but praise God, though, because we're learning what, what the, the Lord was doing in the early stages of, of the church. And so we get to this part of the letter in chapter 16. Now, so far, what we're seeing jumping into chapter 16 is this is Paul's second missionary journey. In chapter 15, what you saw was the council coming together and they gathered to discuss the conditions for the Gentiles as they were being added into the church. Also, they were affirming the unity in the gospel of grace and they, they showed how the church came together and they were displaying this unity as they all came into an agree- agreement. In uh, chapter 15, verse 23, it says that, The following letter was given that the brothers, both the apostles and the elders and to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greeting since we have heard that some people have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction. So we see the heart behind this letter that they wrote. So the Apostle Paul and a few, and a few other uh, brothers from in the faith, they went together to take this letter to the churches, to the church in Antioch and to the other churches that were scattered abroad. But the whole purpose of the letter was to be able to encourage the brethren, to be able to encourage the brothers in the faith, those who were not of Jewish descent, though, because the main thing in this letter was geared at the Gentiles. Now, what we see, though, that the council, they demonstrated a balance between truth and love. And what we're going to see is that as Paul goes into his second missionary trip, he's going to do the same thing. He's going to display the same balance between truth and love. So now, The Apostle Paul had planted several churches already in in his first missionary trip. So he was going to go back to those churches. So it's important that we're seeing what's taking place here. And I'm drawing this for us so that it can help us to better understand what's being communicated in this part of the letter. The Apostle Paul had already gone to these churches. They had planted these gospel-centered churches. And now... He was going to go back again with this letter that that y'all read uh, the last few Sundays in Acts chapter 15. Now we get to this part of of, uh, chapter 16, and this is what the word of the Lord says. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews 
who were in those places. For they, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Verse 6. And they went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go out, to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Praise be to God for the word. So now what we're seeing in this is what we're looking at is Paul's missional strategy here. He was being sensitive in this strategy. It's what we call being missionally sensitive to what God was doing throughout. And so in verses 1 through 5, we will see how the Apostle Paul was being sensitive to the people that they were reaching. They weren't just going in there and, and bringing this letter like nothing. He was aware of the people that they were reaching. The first observation that we're making from the text is that Paul picks up a new person, a disciple by the name of what? Timothy. Oh, young Timothy. So he picks up Timothy. Now, another few things that we learn from these few verses about Timothy, that his mom was a Jewish woman and his dad was Greek. So follow with me. Jewish woman who was a believer and a father who was a Greek. So what we're seeing here is that Paul had invited Timothy to be a co-laborer along with him. Now, another thing that we learn from the passage is that Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers. They knew about Timothy. If you go into the church and you ask about Timothy, everyone knew who Timothy was. He has something good to say about him. This, this kind of reminds us, right? Like the importance of it. Like what, it, what testimony are we leaving around the people? The people around us, what would they say about us, right? Is this a person that you can count on or not? So Timothy was that kind of person. And the apostle Paul said, you know what? I, I'm inviting you to be in my team. Now, we know that God used Timothy in powerful ways. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul writes about Timothy. He says, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Here goes Paul talking about Timothy. This is just to let you know the kind of heart that Paul grew to have for Timothy. 
He considered him a faithful child in the Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 22, this is what Paul says about Timothy. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Look at how he addresses Timothy as a son. So you see, they had like a father and son type of relationship as they were in the mission. Now we, we, we're beginning to see the, the kind of affections then that he had towards him. But not only that, in the New Testament, we have 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. These two letters were written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the guy that you see that Paul picks up here. These are called the pastoral letters because of the way uh, that they were written. And so we see then that Timothy played a key role in this missionary trip. So follow with me because this is important as I, I'm trying to draw this up for us. So, so now imagine the Apostle Paul asking you to go on a mission trip with him. How many of us would be excited? Would we? Like, man, praise the Lord. This is the Apostle Paul. He's asking you to go on a mission trip with him. But follow with me. Look at what he does next. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him. And what did he do next? He circumcised him. So he says, hey, look, come with me on a mission trip. But there's one requirement that you get circumcised. Let me pause for a moment, guys. God, God is using all of this, right? Paul tells Timothy, come with me. But in order for you to come with me, you have to get circumcised. So for some of us men in here, we'll be like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't know about that. I mean, we're already old. Maybe when you was little, but you're already old. And this is what Paul is asking Timothy to do. Why would he do that? I mean, that's mind-boggling. I mean, you, you slow down for a moment and you look at the text and you're like, Paul, why would you ask Timothy to get circumcised? Now, we know that Paul was opposed to the Gentile Christians getting circumcised. He, we knew that Paul preached a gospel of grace and not a gospel of works. We knew, we know that Paul was preaching that circumcision is not necessary for salvation. So is Paul compromising here? Is he compromising what he holds to be true? Now, in order for us to correctly understand what's taking place here, we have to create a biblical framework. A biblical framework by which we look at the text. The first thing that we will look at is that we know that Scripture is true. And it will not contradict itself. Now, the second thing that we must look at is that, man, we know that Paul 
was persistent. He preached diligently a gospel of grace and he fought hard to maintain the purity of this gospel. Why would he all of a sudden, all of a sudden change his mind? We know that he continued to preach that salvation was grace alone, not by works. We know that he established this, that circumcision was necessary for salvation as some false teachers were coming in and teaching. In Galatians 1.9, Paul says to the Galatian Christians, he says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. I mean, Paul was like fervent, like, hey, if anyone comes over here and he preaches to you something else that is not the gospel, let him be accursed. I mean, we find this all throughout his letters. So why is it that here, all of a sudden, he tells Timothy to get circumcised? If you don't need circumcision for salvation. In Galatians 5, 6... Says this, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, Paul begins by reminding us that it is our union with Christ. It is us being found in Christ where we find value in where we find significance in. It's not whether you were circumcised or not circumcised. It's are you in Christ Jesus? At the end of the day, that is what counts. For salvation is in Christ alone and nothing else but in Jesus alone. Now the next thing that I want to establish is that Paul's carrying a letter. Paul is carrying a letter to the Christians in these different cities. And this letter that he is carrying, it was agreed on by the Jewish, the Jerusalem council that was made up of the elders and the apostles. They agreed that salvation was by grace alone. That circumcision was not required for salvation. So why would Paul tell Timothy to get circumcised? That is the question of the day. If you don't need circumcision for salvation, why would you ask them that? Now turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 3 and 5. When you're there, you can say, I'm in, I'm in. Man, I ain't hear no one say, I'm in, I'm in. What about you with that donut? Right there? I'm in, I'm in. I'm in, I'm in. Are y'all there? No, not, not there yet. All right. Look at what it says in verse 3. But even Titus, follow with me, Titus, he's a full-blooded Greek, a Gentile. This dude is not... Part Jew and part Greek. Follow with me. What he tells him. But, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. 
He wasn't forced to be circumcised. So how come he didn't tell this guy to get circumcised, but he did tell Timothy? Now follow with me. Yet because of false brothers secretly that were brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery to them. We did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. Now follow with me, because what we see here is that Paul was not motivated by the fear of man. Because if he feared men, he would told Titus, you need to get circumcised. So we know then for a fact that when he told Timothy, it wasn't because of a fear of man. He wasn't afraid of what man would say right here. Like, oh, look, no, no, no. There was something else going on. And this is where we get to our point here. Paul was being sensitive to his audience. Paul knew the people that were going to go reach. Paul was fully aware of the culture. And he was fully aware of Timothy's culture. Because follow with me. Jew, Timothy was a Jew and a Greek. You hear me? He was both a Jew and a Greek. So therefore... Timothy's case was a unique situation. Paul was telling the Greeks, he says, look, you don't have to get circumcised in order for you to be saved. Salvation is by grace alone. But these were Greeks who did not grow up under the Mosaic law. They didn't know nothing about that. They weren't, they weren't brought up in this kind of culture. So they knew nothing of it. Now, Timothy, in the other hand, his mama, you already know his mama. His mama's going to share with him the things about the law growing up. It wasn't until Paul went on his first missionary trip that more than likely his mom came to the faith, as Scripture says that, that the mom and the grandma came to the faith. So, but before that time, I'm sure they were teaching him the law. I'm sure they were teaching him about their culture. So Timothy was aware of these things. Now follow with me. Because Timothy, who grew up with a Jewish mom, because of the rabbinic law, which is the law uh, that was being taught to the children, the, the Jewish children. It said this, that if your mom was Jewish and your dad was a, uh, a Greek, your father was a Greek, you were still considered a Jew. So you're still considered a Jew. Therefore, the culture and everything that you grew up in will be still something that you look to, something that you're embracing. Something that you're honoring. Paul was aware then that Timothy would constantly offend the Jews if he didn't get circumcised. Follow with me. Paul was sensitive to this. He was fully aware because the text shows us. He says this in, in um, verse 3. He says, 
Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because why? Because of the Jews who were in those places. So he knew that there were going to be Jews there when they were going to go in there. There were going to be Jewish people in there. So as a sign of respect to the Jewish heritage, this was a missional strategy then that Paul was taking. So Timothy, being part Jew, would be honoring his Jewish roots. And he would be sensitive to his Jewish culture. And this opened up the platform for them to go in there. Because look at what verse 5 says. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. What we find here is that it is very important that we understand the people that we are reaching. When we're going into an area of town, don't just go up in there thinking that you got the answer for them. That you got it all figured out for the people that are in there. We have to be sensitive to the culture, to the people, to their stories, to their brokenness, to their upbringing, to their heritage, to their race. We have to be sensitive to that. A lot of times we can step into this place where we somehow think that we have the right answer for them. No, we figure it all out for them. Man, and I'm telling you, yeah, we have the answer for eternal life. But they're not going to hear you because in those moments, they might be struggling with something else. And how you're going to engage them? How are you going to talk to them? Understanding and being sensitive to who they are and the culture that they're from is an important part of our missional strategy. It was the Apostle Paul's, uh, he was being sensitive to that. Tim Keller says in this, he says that the council that was in Jerusalem, they had spoken the truth about the gospel freedom, yet They demanded loving consideration from the Gentile converts for Jewish Christian sensibility. Remember, this letter was telling the the Greeks, the, the Gentiles that were being converted. He was telling them, you're coming to the faith, just abstain from eating things that are that that are given to idols, things that have blood in them. Why were they telling the, the, the Gentiles that? So that the Gentiles can be sensitive to the Jewish Christians and not become some kind of stumbling block. Now this goes vice versa. Paul is telling Timothy to do the same thing. We're going to be sensitive to our Jewish brothers. We're going to be sensitive to them. You're not getting circumcised because you need it for salvation. Because you grew up as a Jew and it's part of your heritage, you're only honoring your culture and your, and your Jewish roots. That's what you're doing. And it is, this is given a platform for the gospel. Now, Timothy is adopting these Jewish culture, cultural practices. And he's considering... He, he is keeping consideration the people they are reaching. And 
is displaying love to them. Being culturally sensitive, sensitive is important. And this is part of you no know, strategy. When we come into a community like we're in, we're not going to say, hey, look, you know, we're coming in here and we're going to do all this, we're going to do all that. Like, we have to understand what are the needs of the community? What's going on in the community? What are people celebrating and what are people struggling with? Because what worked out in the suburbs doesn't necessarily work in the neighborhood. And we know that to be true. We can easily think that we got it all together because it worked out there, but it doesn't mean it will work here. We have to be sensitive to the culture and to the people that we are reaching. So now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, he says, He became all things to all people in order to reach them with the gospel. So we're learning to, to adopt these different to these different audiences without changing the gospel. Our goal is not to push a Christian culture upon another culture, but instead to bring the gospel into that culture. You see, we learn to contextualize without compromising the gospel. We should be willing to adopt different audiences without Adopting sinful actions. There's going to be things in the culture that, that we know, like if we practice, we practice them, they would actually be sinful before the Lord. But then we know other parts of other cultures that there's nothing wrong with that. There's missionaries that have gone to like China and they begin to dress up like the Chinese culture would be. You know, like even with the Muslims, when you go out there, you know, if they sit down for a while and they're having this, this time where they, they sit on the floor, you sit down with them, you know? Like, we, we have to take the time to get to know the people we are reaching. Let us not think that we got it all figured out and we rush up in there and we, we're shoving all these things down. No, it does not work that way. Being a, 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 an ear that listens is very Crucial, And the Apostle Paul was aware of the audience. And he knew that if him and Timothy went in there like that, it would be offensive to the Jews they were trying to reach. Therefore, he told Timothy, as part of your culture. He didn't tell this to Titus because Titus didn't grow up as a Jew. Timothy grew up in this kind of home. Oh, Loveless, there's a, a, a preacher by the name of Loveless when he says, when the conscience is freed from self-justification by the gospel, it makes us very culturally flexible. We're able to, to adjust to different cultures. We're able to appreciate the beauty about different cultures and embrace the people where they're at. I remember talking to one of the brothers and he told me that when he, he was in Argentina doing missionary work out there. He said, they would send us out there. And he goes, and when we would go out there, for several months, we didn't do no kind of ministry work. All we did was go to the local places, eat at the local restaurants, shop at the local places, everywhere where the local people would be at, that's what they did for several months. 
They got to learn the culture. He was, they told him, don't try to minister to nobody. Get to know the people first. You see how important that is? It is the same thing for us. Get to know the people around us. Being sensitive to the people in our culture. Now, the second thing, and as I'm closing up with this last point, the second thing is being sensitive to, to the guidance of the Lord. Being sensitive to what the Lord is doing. Now, remember, they were on their journey, right? On their second missionary journey. And they were going into this region. And look at what happens. It says, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of, in Asia. So what we find here is a very important part also. They're going on this missionary trip, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit forbids them from speaking the word in Asia. They were already excited because in the previous verse, man, people are coming to the faith. The church is growing. There's an excitement. And now as they continue to go, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit forbids them from speaking the word in, in Asia. Now, is there anything wrong with speaking God's word? No. Is there anything wrong with the people in Asia coming to believe Jesus? No. So, this is the Bible says, go and preach the gospel to all creation. So then why is the Holy Spirit forbidding them from going? We don't clearly know how this took place. We don't clearly know that. But we do know this, that God closed the door. He closed the door on them. Now, look at what happens in verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Oh, and here again, twice. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. You're going in one direction, and now you try another direction, and another door is closed. A second time, the door is closed. What do you think is going on now in their minds? What do you think the missionaries that are together are thinking at this moment. Another closed door? This can become frustrating as a leader or in the ministry as we begin to question those in charge. And we're seeing like, okay, look, we just went that way and the, the door closed. We tried again and the door closed. Changes and changes continue to happen. You begin to say, maybe there's no clear direction. Maybe you begin to feel like you're getting nowhere. The door was closed again. Would you give up? Would you turn back? A lot of times we can interpret closed doors in a negative way. We can interpret it as if God doesn't hear us. As if he does not care for us. We can easily get upset with God because something didn't turn out the way we planned it. How do we normally take it when, when a door is closed on us? I mean, do we get excited? No, thank you. 
we don't get excited. Do we get a little upset? Yeah. Because somehow we were hoping this would take place, but all of a sudden it doesn't. How would you perceive the situation? These struggles right here, family, definitely will expose the idol of control. Because when things don't seem to be lined up, that we're not controlling the intended end that we have in mind and something in a different direction, oh, our heart begins to struggle. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, for real, right? We, we don't get happy, we get mad. We don't get excited, we begin to yell. And yeah, we do get excited, but the wrong way, right? Our flesh begins to kick in. How do we handle these changes? Whether it be in ministry or in life, let us go to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So you can make all the planning you want, but it doesn't mean it's always going to come out that way. Next verse. The wise of the heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Now, go to uh, verse 20 in that one, brother. Let me see. Verse 20 in that one. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Well, that goes in good with it too, right, brother? <laughs> Amen. So bottom line, what we're communicating here is that you can make all the plans you want. You can establish all kind of stuff that you want, but at the end of the day, it is what the Lord has established for us. But I tell you, it is not easy accepting what God has changed. You know, we are celebrating when, when we feel that God is in agreement with us, right? Like, yeah, Lord, like, yeah, look at what we've done. But a lot of times it's not we, but I, me. And so this is what we're seeing here. Two closed doors, we're going to begin to complain and murmur. But look at what the Lord was doing. You see, God's guidance will often be gradual and unpredictable. We're not going to say, oh, no, 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 you know, this is the straight path that we should be in. Yeah, we're, we're going to think that, but will it really come out that way? We know that when we're in the ministry, things change all the time. Amen? In church planting, things change all the time. In the, in the pastoral role, in everything you could think of, even with our kids, right? All right, kids, in the morning, we're going to wake up at this time. I'm going to get y'all ready, and I'm going to get y'all to school in time. Amen, right? Does it always happen that way? No. But you see how we get frustrated. We get upset. And now imagine with, with difficult decisions in life. And this was, again, 
Something that Paul had, I mean, Paul and the rest of the missionaries had began this journey. Remember, follow with me, because they began in this journey. Everything seemed simple. It didn't look complicated. The council had agreed, and they said, look, take this letter, and when you take this letter, take these people with you. There was change even in the people that were with Paul, right? So you're not always going to have the same people with you. People come in and out of your life in the same way they did with the Apostle Paul. And it's cool like that. Because at the end of the day, God is still in control. God is still the one guiding and directing us. If God removes someone from our life, don't get upset. God is going to do something else with them as he is with you. We have to continue to keep on going. A lot of times we begin to get into this pity party and, and, and the Lord's like, what are you doing there? You are in partnership with the God of the universe. And he is still at work even when you don't feel like it. So there will be changes in the people in our life and there will be changes in the directions that we are in life. There will be seasons when people will come and seasons where people will go. There will be seasons where doors will open and seasons where doors will close. But be reminded that God is still the God of open and closed doors. God is still in control through our changes. So we learn to praise him and we learn to persevere. So don't let a closed door cause you to retrieve, but keep on clinging to the Lord and be listening to his voice. Might be getting your attention in this closed door. Don't get a pry bar and try to open up that door again. Don't we sometimes try to do that? The Lord closed the door and, and we're like, no, no, we still got to get through it. Like the Lord told me to press on through. Not, not that direction, though. He's calling you in a different direction. So we need to be okay. Put this down. Lord, I know that I struggle with control and I want to control this relationship. I want to control this outcome. But at the end of the day, you're the one that has control. Lord, give me the grace and the strength to let go. I'm not God. You are. So this helps us to trust in the Lord and not in our own doing. Now, in these moments when these doors close, it can get frustrating. But be reminded, Scripture says, Be still and know that I am the Lord. You know how hard it is to be still, right? Kids, you know what I mean? Yeah. So now imagine as a child of God, the Lord is calling us to be still. It's okay. Things will still get done. But I am calling you to slow down. We learned that in the last few weeks. If you notice, my wife and I and our family wasn't, here the last few Sundays. And you're like, man, what happened to the Miralos? Se fueron and that's it. There was a lot of things going on. And we were learning to be still in the midst of everything going on. 
learning to trust in God, being reminded that we're not self-sufficient. God is still in control of his church. He is building his church with or without us. And we were learning those things. So another thing that we were learning is that in those moments of being still, we're learning to hear the voice of the Lord. And I close with this passage. Turn uh, to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 through 14. And be reminded, look, when the Lord closes these doors, it's telling us, like, instead of always doing, 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 learn to be still and hear from God. Don't be driven. Don't be driven by, by I have to prove to somebody else. Or, or I'm longing for, for the appraisal of people. Like, don't allow those things to be driving you through these doors. Because a lot of times when the Lord closes these doors, he's showing us something. Look at what's going on in this passage in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. And now this is a part where Elijah... Elijah here had been running and fleeing and he gets to this point because, man, he sees all kind of things going on. He's like, Lord, I'm I'm giving up, man. This is just too much. And and he's seeking from God. He's seeking of the Lord. And this happens. And he said, this is what the Lord tells him. "Go, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. This is what they're telling him. To go out and stand before the mount, uh, on the mount before the Lord. And behold, The Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces and the uh, uh, pieces, the rocks that were before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Let me pause for a moment. Imagine all these things start breaking apart and he's thinking God's going to be there. But the Lord was not in that. Notice something else take place. And after the, after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. It was this, and after the fire, sound of a low whisper. It is in that that Elijah heard the voice of the Lord. You would think that God's going to be moving in this something powerful that was being displayed here or, or the fire or the earthquake. And it was not there. A lot of times we can be going in different directions thinking that God is going to be here or God is going to be there just because we see something amazing taking place or just because other people are doing this or other people are doing that. This church is doing that over there or this church is doing this over here. But God is calling you here. And it says, in this still, small voice. It's not in the chaos of everything. It is in the stillness, in the quietness, in the calmness, even of your own room. In the calmness of your own kitchen, in the calmness of your own car. God will speak to you there. We have to learn to bring down the volume 
and everything else. We could be listening to everyone else and not listening to God. We could be trying to find God in all other places, but God is calling us in this still, small, quiet, calm moment. Be still and know that he is the Lord. Just because you see all kind of stuff everywhere else doesn't mean that God is calling you there. God can be calling you in your own home, in your own living room, in your own bedroom, and he's waiting for you. Be listening to the voice of the Lord as he gives you guidance. Don't just try to go through any door because all kind of people are going through that door. God might be calling them, but where is God calling you? Be sensitive voice of the Lord. Be sensitive to what he's calling you to do. We're fixing to go into Thanksgiving, which is this week. What is God calling you to do? In what way is God directing you? Who is God calling you to reach during Thanksgiving? Even during the time of Christmas. Be sensitive to what God's calling you to do. Not because all the masses are running in one direction means that you need to run in that same direction. We're not people pleasers. We're here to please the Lord. So maybe our journey might not have many people around us, but it's okay because who is with you? Lord. Now, look at what it says in this passage. Verse 10. And finally, when, when he has seen the vision, he says, and when Paul has seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Finally, they understood this is the direction we need to go in. Why? Because God made it clear for us. God showed us that this is the direction we need to go in. And another thing that I want to point to is the Trinitarian nature in the missional work. We see the evidences of the Holy Spirit, the evidences of the Son, and the Father in here. Because in this text, we see that who forbid him from going? The Holy Spirit. Who also forbid him from uh, going? The Spirit of Jesus. And now, who is affirming the direction? God the Father. We see our Trinitarian God at work. In this text right here. So beautiful, man. My golly, Lord, you're everywhere. Again, God is the one guiding us. God is the one directing us. Be sensitive to the people and the culture we are reaching and be sensitive to the voice of the Lord that gives us directions. Just bow our heads. Father of heaven and earth, God over all creation, I thank you, Lord, that long ago, you chose to set your affections upon us. Today, we are recipients of your love, recipients of your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us nor forsake us. 
God, I pray, Lord, as we read through your word, that you will remind us of just how important it is, Father God, that we are sensitive to our audience, to the people that we are reaching, that we can take the time to know who they are, that we can take the time uh, to know their stories, so that we can be sensitive to you guiding us and directing us. We go as we go in there, Lord, with your gospel. I also pray, Father God, for those of us who have experienced those closed doors in our lives. And that we've gotten frustrated because these doors have closed. Help us to release this unto you, Lord. Help us to trust that you are at work in both the closed and open doors. That as one door closes, we know that you will open up another, Lord. But help us not to retrieve, not to give up, but to continue to press on. We thank you once again for allowing us to be here today. In Jesus' name, amen.